Good morning. How's everybody? It's good to see you guys. Y'all enjoy yesterday's weather? Anybody get out, do anything special? Yeah? Someone went to a wedding. Someone just said yes. Somebody just said they went to sporting events. We went to Kings Island. What? You went to a Beth Moore conference. So you were inside, and it was beautiful out. That's sweet. So we're in. We're, if, if you don't know, if you're new with us, my name's Chad. I'm the lead pastor here at Light Point, and I want to welcome you guys here and thank you for joining us on this on this uh, beautiful day. Um, as we jump in, if it, one of the things we just started a series last week as we continue through the book of Ephesians, uh, we've revamped it, retitled it. But what we called this last part of Ephesians is is designed for impact. And the reason why we're calling it that or the reason why, why that is is because I believe that God has a specific design on the way things should be. He has a specific design on the way he made this world. He has a dis- specific design on the way he made us as individuals, as couples, as, as people, as a church. There is a God-given design that, that is there, that exists, that he put into place that it's our choice whether to follow or not. And so we're given this challenge whether we want to follow it or not. And what's interesting is this. The more we follow the way he designed things, the bigger the impact we make in this world. The more we get away from his design, the more we do our own thing, the, the, we tend to either make a negative impact or we tend to make no impact at all. And as believers, as a church, we want to be making the uh, most impactful the best impact possible in the world that we live in. As a church, we believe that we're here to shine the light of Jesus into a dark and hurting world. And so that's the way we make this impact into our world. And so um, we, we follow after it. We go after it. We are not apologetic about it. We, that's just what we do. And so that, that's the piece of how we believe as a church we're designed for that. One of the things that as we get into today's passage, one of the things I want to encourage you with is one of the biggest pieces about Light Point is relationships. And Jocelyn has prayed over that and has brought it to our attention this morning. But one of the things that we hold hard to or that we kind of stand on is relationships. And one of the best ways we do that here at Light Point is through groups. And so as we, as we go through today, we're going to start talking about marriage today. So if you're single, uh, don't worry about it. Maybe there's uh, somebody in the, fu- because in the future that God has in store for you, and this will set you up for a strong marriage. Now, see, here's something interesting. Sometimes when a pastor starts talking about marriage, you get some people that say, I don't want to hear this because I'm not in that season of life. But maybe God has something in store for you. So we're going to talk about that for this week and next week as well. And my goal here is how do we design, how do we look at God's design for marriage to make the biggest impact possible? A couple years ago, I was transitioning a job. And just so you know, if you don't know, I'm a, a mental health counselor. And one of my specialties is couples counseling. And so one of the things I do is I sit in rooms and I listen to couples talk and they, they converse amongst each other in a very calm manner and they, um, they share what's going on and, and, and I get to be a part of that and walk through that and it's, it's, a, it's, it's wonderful. Um, it's, it's great. Um, and, and, and so in that, the, one of the things that I get is I get that perspective but also get um, where I stand on is God's word. 
But I was interviewing for a job, and it's the current job I have now, and I was interviewing for this job, and he goes, tell me why you want to focus in on couples. I said, here's what I believe. I believe that everything starts in the home. If the home is not solid, there's no way anything else can be solid. See, where the people come, where a husband and wife come together in a home, where kids come in and out in a home, that is the place where we have the best place possible to make the biggest impact possible. If you don't believe me, remember the last time you had tension in your home. Do you really believe that your kids didn't notice that tension? Do you really believe that that didn't impact your kids in one way, shape, or another? Here's what I believe. When Julie and I are at, our, at odds with one another, my kids pick up on it like that. Their behavior changes like that. What's interesting is when Julie and I are at odds, and I know it's hard to believe, but we, we do tend to converse in a heated manner. But when that's going on, it's all of a sudden something happens with them, and you can see their demeanor change in an instant. Not only that, but if, you, if I also look at it as depending on how our home is, will depend on whether or not I stay focused in my job. It also depends a lot on whether or not she is productive in doing what she needs to be doing. And so what's interesting in this is in that home and what takes place in a home and amongst the married couples, the one that God has brought together in a covenant relationship, what is going on in that relationship is the beginning of a huge impact in this world. And it starts right there in our homes. And so if we're not going to address that, if we're not going to cover that, then we're missing a big part of what we can do to impact this world for our king and our savior. And so if you'll go to me to Ephesians 5, we'll start there. And I'm going to back up one verse from last week. Um, go to Ephesians 5. But one of the things, so I was in this interview and I was talking to Charles and he goes, so tell me about this. And I, and I went into this whole piece as far as that, that how important that marriage relationship with relationship is and how it impacts so much. And he kind of sat there and he just stepped staring at me. And I couldn't figure out if he was thinking I was an idiot or if he was buying, because you know when people look at you and they give you certain looks, you're like, I don't understand what that means. Let's be honest. How many of us have significant others when they give us certain looks? We think things, see, thank you for your honesty. And somebody did this real quick, you just got to look. Anyway, so there's certain looks that, and you're trying, so finally we started talking, and he goes, he said, you're hired, come on staff. And it wasn't anything about, he goes, I want this type of mentality in our rooms with couples. I want people to realize that, that, that it begins there. And what's interesting in all of this is if you look at our world today and if you look at the way our kids are going and all the things that are going on um, with our children and with this particular young generation and the, and, and, and the, I'll call it what it is, the dysfunction that exists there's no reason why we can't point it back to the home and say something's going on. Something's not right. 
If we go back further, we can point it back to the church and saying the church isn't doing its job and walking alongside people and helping families thrive and helping families get to where they need to be. And so that's why when I open it up about groups, guys, if you're not in a group here at LightPoint, you got to get in a group. If you're not connected with other believers and walking alongside them, this isn't going to work. You're going to get tired. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to want to give up. You're going to want to throw in the towel. And here's what happens when you're at that point. When you're surrounded by godly people who are like-minded and are wanting simply to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, and you've got those people beside you walking and encouraging you and checking in on you and doing life with you, all of a sudden it, it reminds you of what's most important. So if you're not in a group, what I want need you to do is on your card... You got a card when you came in. On this card, just say, hey, I'd like more information on being a part of a group. We actually have um, our group, unfortunately, has gotten to a point where we need to, to branch a new group. Um, we've gotten so big, it's hard to fit in our living room, and the dogs still have us place on the couch. It's pretty sad. Um, um, Jocelyn keeps kicking them off. No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't do that. <laughs> Um, it's got, but so we're branching a new group, which means this, which means we have more space. We have more room. There's another group. I know Rob's group right here. He's trying to get his group big enough to where they can branch. He's training a leader right now that's going to come alongside and so that they can branch soon. Why? So there's more room for more people to get connected. John Meyer's the same. Where's he at? He's skipping. He's out there yapping. Okay, so um, John Myers starting to figure out what it means to develop a leader and, and bring a leader alongside so that his group can branch. The whole point of this is how do we multiply? How do we get more opportunity for people to get connected? It has nothing to do with anything else other than getting people connected and walking alongside. So if, you're not, if you want to know what groups are about or what we do, fill this out, let me know, and I will be in contact with you. So Ephesians 5, I want to jump back to verse 21. And this is where we ended last week, and it reads this, Ephesians 5 says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Another version may read, um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now what's interesting in this word submit is this word submit is so interesting. I asked quite a few people this, this week, uh, people that I respect, people that I love, people that I know walk with God, what does this word submit mean? And every time I ask this question or ask this piece, no one could give me a definitive answer of what that really means. And what I mean by that is no one could actually give me the definition to where I could comprehend it. Now, I'm a very simple individual, and it takes a lot to get me to comprehend stuff because, well, it's just the way life is. But with that, there's this piece that no one could really give me what it meant to what it means to submit to one another. What does that mean? How does it look? You can sit here and tell me all day it means, it means this particular thing, but what does that look like? What does it mean if for us to submit to one another? What does it mean for us to, to walk this particular piece out because I'm not grasping it? And every definition I got, every explanation I got, I could not wrap it around my my finite mind to understand what Paul was writing here. 
And so we go on and it says this. And the reason why I wanted a better explanation of it is because of the passage we're in today. It reads this. Wives be, excuse me, I need to go back to this one. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, if you're a wife here or, or a woman and you just heard that and you're like, I'm done, I don't want to listen, just hold on. Bear with me. We're getting there. Okay? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. It goes on and says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his, lo- loves his wife's wife loves himself. Now, why are these two words used here? Why did Paul use the word submit and love? I started wrestling with this. I started trying to figure out what this means because every definition I've been given, every time I've sat in a church service in this, one of the things that always comes out of it is is women walk out ticked off because they have no idea what submitting really means or or they, they don't like the idea of it. And so they walk away, and then you got men who walk out, and they say, I have no idea. I don't understand what it means to love my wife. What does that look like? And so there's this confusion as we walk out. And my goal today, my hope today is that we'll walk out of here with some clarity, that we'll walk out of here with what does this really look like in today's world? What does this look like in our lives to understand what it means to submit and what it means to love? Let's back up. If we go to 21... Notice that the verse says this, submit to one another. There is a mutual submission that takes place. Then Paul goes into, wives, submit to your husband. If we don't get the first part right, a mutual submission to one another, then how in the world can we get the next two right? So let's start with this mutual submission. Let's go back to the very beginning. Here's why I believe that God or that Paul chose when God gave him this word, God gave him this word, and he chose submit and love. Let's unpack this. Let's go to the very beginning. In Genesis, if you go back to Genesis, and it it explains everything that took place, how God designed the world, how he created the world, how he brought the world into existence, how the first relationships happened, and even in a perfect place, in this perfect place that was created, there was a fall, there was something that took place. And after this fall happened, God spoke something very deliberate to both Adam and Eve. And he started with Eve and he said this in Genesis 3.16. The woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. I've never given birth to a child, nor after being in the room do I ever want to. But is it painful, women? So this is true, correct? We cannot debate this. Any woman that's had a child will tell you that it is painful. And it's not just the birthing process. It's the whole process of that baby being in you and until it leaves you. And then the pain grows exponentially once they hit teenage years. 
Thank you. So this is true. Now I want to jump to this next verse because this is where I believe this piece, the reason why submit was used. And now I'm giving you my perception. I'm giving you how I'm adding, getting all this together after years of doing marriage counseling, after looking at scripture, after trying to understand what this means. And here's what it comes down to. God goes on to say this. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, what does this word desire mean? Desire, see, there's two, two thoughts here. One thought is that the desire has more to do with a, a sexual desire towards their husband. Now, if you've been married for any amount of time, see, you're laughing because you know where I'm going with this. We all know that in most cases, the wife's desire for the husband very rarely, if at all, trumps the, de- the husband's desire for the wife. So y'all are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. So it cannot mean that, can it? That's not, see, that's not the piece we're honing in on. If we unpack this word desire, what we come to realize is it's this. If you jump over to Genesis uh, 4, 7, there's a piece where uh, this was after Cain had committed sin and he killed his brother Abel. There's a piece there where it said sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you, so you need to master it. Now, here's what desire means in this context. Control. Your desire will be to control your spouse. There's something designed there. There's something that takes place where this control piece comes out and you want to control your husband. Now, I I mentioned this to Julie this week. And I said, hey, what do you think about this? We had a day date on Monday because kids went back to school, and it was awesome. All right, so we went on this, and I said, hey, tell me what you think about this. She goes, well, I don't see how I, I try to control you. And I said, okay, well, let's unpack this. And I said, just bear with me for a minute. And so we were walking through this, and I said, how many times, and I, I went back to a specific instant, instance in our life. We had, I don't remember if it was Chad or Noel, but they were little, and I have a certain way of doing things that is contrary to Julie's way of doing things. They'll see the conflict already rising, right? And so I was changing one of our kids' diapers and getting them ready for the day. There was one problem. I was not doing it the way Julie does it. What was that? That, hold on. <laughs> hold on. I was doing it my way. I was doing it the way that I felt comfortable with it. At the end of the day, the diaper was changed and it was still on and clean. And they had clothes on. So was it wrong? No. It just wasn't the way she wanted it. Now, Given the fact that it was a baby, and let's just be honest, in that season, life is stressful, and you're just tired, all these different things going on, right? So there was probably some emotions, whatever it is, that heightened the piece of it. But there was a piece where it blew up that I wasn't doing it her way. And I said, in that moment, I felt like you were trying to control how I did things. You may not have seen it, 
but I felt like you were trying to control the way I do things. And so in this piece and within women, I understand that this may be hard to understand, hard to grasp, and we'll get to it in a minute. But there is a piece, a part that has come after the fall that, that is that something you need to deal with. And this inside of you is this piece where you are going to try to control your spouse. And if we take a note from Cain and what God said to him is, you have to learn to master it. You have to learn that just because they don't do it your way doesn't mean that it's wrong. Okay. Ready? So that's where we're coming at from, from women. We good? Okay. Anybody want to walk out yet? Good. I'm not letting you. So anyway, let's, let's harp on some men here. Ready? Yep. Amen. Genesis 3, 17 to 19 reads this. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife... And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistle it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Now, what's the peace in men that we struggle with? The peace that we struggle with, I believe, as men, is passivity. I believe that Adam was nearby when Eve ate that fruit. Because she took it and she handed it to him. And he said nothing. He didn't stand in the gap for her. He didn't tell that serpent where to go. He did nothing. He stood by and he let it happen. Now, in men, there's this peace, I believe, and I see it all over the world today. Guys, I even see it in myself. Confession. Past seven months, starting in January to, 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 to July, so I've put a finger on it. I couldn't figure it out. So I put a finger on it. I've been, there's been something wrong inside like a depression. It just kept eating at me. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And there was a, a thing that took place within our church and a thing that took place within my own life that I didn't speak up about. That I took a passive approach to. And once I put my finger on it and said, this is what the issue is, did God, and then shine the light on it, did God not reveal this to me? There are so many times in my marriage when I need to stand up and not be passive and stand up for what is right and stand up for the way God's leading and stand up for the, what, the direction he's given our family and for doing what he's called me to do. So much so that school has started this week. And one of the things, my goal this week, this year, not this week, this year, is to make sure my kids are prayed over and to make sure my kids hear scripture before they walk out the door. And on Friday, I was very busy trying to get to an appointment, and I about didn't do what I had said I was going to do, and I was going to take a, pa- eh, a passive approach to it. And I caught myself and said, no, my family's worth more. See, this passivity that takes place, you want to know why I believe this is so important? It's this, and I believe God went right at it. 
And here's what I believe he said. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. And now let me be very clear here. There's nothing wrong with our wives speaking to us. Like if you go home and you say, no, Pastor Chad said you, I don't have to listen to your voice anymore. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that when your wife's voice is contrary to God's voice, be aggressive or be strong enough to stand up and say, no, this is where God is leading us. Please join me. Please come with me. Don't be passive and just listen to it. But look for God's leading in it. So much so that God looks at this particular piece of Adam when he says this. And what does he say? The thing that he talks about in 19, he goes, By the sweat of your face you shall do what? Eat bread. Is there anything that you can do passively and still sweat? Other than sit in a sauna. He's driving something here. He's saying, you are going to work for this. You will not be able to eat in life. You won't be able to sustain your life if you remain passive. So I'm going to bring about this piece out of you and say, you're going to start working. You're going to start being action-driven. You're going to start acting in a way that, that provides for your family, that provides for your sustenance. And you cannot be passive in this. In the same way he told Eve, in the same way he said, your desire will be contrary to your husband. And so the piece is this, is there's a control issue going over here, and there's a passive issue here going on here. What happens when either one of us is walking with Jesus? The wife is controlling the husband, and the husband is letting it happen. And there's chaos in the home. If you don't believe me, watch when you see this, and, you, and just pay attention. Anybody like the people watch? Anyone like people watch? I do. I love it. It's, it's so much. Like, don't be, like, I sit out there and judge all you. I'm just kidding. So, but I do. Have you ever seen this? And it's, it's interesting. Whenever a couple walks into my office, I get a good idea what's going on. And if the first thing the husband does is sit down, he sits down and he does this. And the first thing she does, if he would just get his crap together, we would be better. And then he walks out of my office and he's like this. Do we not see this? I see it all the time. And it breaks my heart. Because that's not God's design. God's design is not for one to be beat up and the other one to have power, for the other one to have control. If submission is this, and here's what I've come down to realize. If, if this idea of submitting has something to do with surrendering control, and I'll put it in the context of the church, church to begin with. If we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, then here's what it means to me. Is that, Jason, I'm not going to try to control whether you walk with Jesus or not. 
And I'm not going to sit here and judge you based on what you do right or wrong and t- sit here and control every little piece of you. If we're going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, I'm going to walk with you. We're going to walk together. When I f- fall, you're going to pick me up. When you fall, I'm going to pick you up. But I'm not going to try to control what you do. I'm going to surrender that control of somebody. Make sense? Are we good? So when it gets into this particular piece, God has provided us with the challenge for the wife, and it's this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Submit. I'm going to surrender control of my husband. I'm going to try and stop controlling him. And I'm going to submit to that. I'm going to relinquish control of him. For the husband, and he says this, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and, 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 and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So let's talk about this piece. If within, me is, if within us is a need to control, then, then I need to surrender that. The word used in submit in Greek, there's, there's, a, a, a non, there's a military term that's used, and it's this, arrange in a specific order under a command, under the command of a leader. The second one is this, and it's a non-military term that's used. It's a voluntary attitude, a voluntary attitude, not a forced attitude, a voluntary one. I'm choosing to do it. I'm not being told to do it by my husband. I'm choosing to do it. A voluntary attitude of giving in, of cooperating. If I'm cooperating, I'm not controlling. If I'm working with them, I'm not trying to dictate everything that takes place. There's this voluntary peace that happens. Assuming responsibility and carrying out a burden, or carrying a burden. See, I believe when we submit with this idea of submitting not only to one another, it's also this idea when God hones in on it, is that I need to surrender this idea that I have control of something. So what does it look like to try to control? And I, I just have a few things that, for, that have popped out to me, not only from my time with couples, but just being married for so long. Have you ever... Um, Wives, just be honest with yourselves, or uh, have you ever tried to use guilt, guilt your husband into doing something that um, you want them to do? Point out a flaw, make them feel guilty about something. You use guilt to control them. Another one is, do you ever use your emotions to get them to do what you want them to do? Whether it's out of frustration or being overwhelmed, but you use your emotions to control them. You'll do an outburst, you'll cry, and you've learned that by crying or by, being over, by allowing this overwhelmed or frustration feeling, when you allow that to manifest itself, that they'll respond to you in a way that you like. And so what you've learned is that if I act this way or if I do this, then they'll act this way, and so now I've learned how to control him. The next one is this. Have you ever been um, known to withhold affection 
from your husband in order to get what you want, in order to get him to act a certain way, in order to get him to do something the way you want it to be done. What about put-downs? Have you ever learned, have you learned that if you do some little digs in on your husband that you can get him to tweak his behavior, you can get him to change, you can control him in a, way, a certain way? Maybe it's comments. You can use comments and certain comments that come out of your mouth that you've learned that are, can help you control them. Maybe you're the personality that you just like to take control and you're a take control type of person. And so you've learned that you're just going to take control and go with it, and he either can get on board with it or not. But in that, you've learned to control your husband. The last piece, and I think this is very important, and this applies to all of you wonderful ladies that have amazing fathers who you look up to and you think are pretty awesome. Have you ever used the comparison of your dad and how your husband falls short to control him. And you'll point to your earthly father and you'll say, look at how he does things. Why don't you do it the same way? Or you'll say, you know what? My dad does it this way. Why can't you, get, why can't you do it his way? And so we're learning these different ways of controlling him. And see, when we submit, we're giving up control. We're surrendering that peace. We're cooperating If I try to control it, I'm no longer cooperating, but I'm controlling what I want. And so I'd ask you to think about this. What does that look like in your life? What are some ways you're trying to control your man? Now, before we move on, I want to hit on something here. For the husband, and he goes on, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And I'm going to unpack this a little bit in the next session, but what I want us to understand that when in this scripture what it talks about, the head is not a place of power and of control. In other words, the husband is not to, to sit there and say, well, I'm the head, therefore I can, I can exert my power on my wife or I can exert my own control on my wife and she just needs to do what I say to do and she just needs to step in line. That's not what God is saying here. That's not the attitude in which this is written, the, the meaning behind it. He's talking in this same manner when he puts Christ as the head of the church. He's giving us an example of what it looks like. And he says, Christ is the head of the church. Now let me ask you something. Has Christ made you do anything? Or has he asked you to follow him? Has Christ controlled your life in any way? Or has he simply loved you, inviting you into what he's doing and what he's a part and leading us in a certain way? See, as a church body, he is the head of our church body. He's the one that guides us. He's the one that has given us the vision and has given us the peace that we're to follow hard after. But he doesn't sit here and manipulate every little piece that goes on and controls it. 
He doesn't sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to swoop in and just make things everything the way that, I, that it should be. What he does is he sits there and he gives us a model, a design, a way to live it out, a way to, to walk it out. And he, and he loves us enough to meet us in the places where we get it wrong and to show us grace. And he's the head of the church and he allows us to get it wrong and he allows for second chances and he allows us to mess up. And yet he's still there and he still loves us and he still uses us and he still utilizes us. Us, and he still allows us to continue to follow after him and to, to follow him and to, to, to grow in him in all of these pieces. He's the head. And that's the piece as husbands that we have to realize is that what God designed for us is not a place of power and control, but one of love and compassion and grace. And we'll get onto that here in a minute. But he goes on to this. He says, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, husbands, I'm going to free you up. Wives, I'm going to free you up right here. Your husband's not your savior. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that because the Savior gave his life, he came to do what? He came to serve, not be served. He came to give his life because that's what the Father called him to do. He came to bring about something new. He came in a loving, compassionate way. And so here's the piece I want us to understand is that when we look at our husbands, they're not our Savior. When we look at the men, they're not the Savior, but they are to conduct themselves in a way that is Savior-like in the sense that they are to serve serve and not be served. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And I'll ask you this, what ways do you try to control your husband? The challenge for us husbands in verse 25, it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Um, I just want to look at Christ for a minute. I want to look at how Christ loves the church. Christ is all-powerful. He's the Son of God. There's nothing that limits him. But how did he come to this world? He came as a little baby, and he grew and, 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 he, and, and lived a perfect life. But the way he led, the way he came in this, he came with compassion. I've been reading in Scripture and Mark and this piece that he would meet people with compassion. I don't, other than driving out the, the, the guys in the temple who were selling, doing something wrong, I don't remember him really forcing anybody to do anything. He stood his ground and he, and he made sure he stood up for what the Father told him to do. But he met people with compassion, with love. The next thing we learn is that this is that when we look at Jesus and the way he led, he led with he, uh, time. He spent time with his disciples. He spent time with people, not apart from them. He was in, he he invited them to be, or he was involved in their lives, not distant. He included his disciples in on what he was doing. He didn't exclude them. He was one that would serve his disciples, not asking them to always serve him. He was inviting. He would ask, you know, follow me. He didn't demand it. Here's what I want us to, men, I want us to understand this piece right here, because this will change your home. Christ surrendered to the will of the Father. 
even when he didn't want to go to the cross and he asked God to take the cup from him multiple times, he said, not my will, but yours. Men, our job is to follow the will of the Father. And the only way we can do that, men, is we get in our word, God's word, we read it, we pray over it, we pray over our families, we pray over our kids. Then we step out in faith and we walk it out. And the wonderful thing about this is you don't have to do it alone. There are men in this room, in this church, that are willing to walk with you, to willing to help you understand what this looks like, willing to see this lived out. Men, if you want to see something different in your home, if you want to see something changed in your marriage, it starts with this. Julie and I, for, for years, man, I need you to hear this. Julie and I, for years, would have chaos. Not that we don't have it now. It's a different type of chaos. But we would have this, this, this peace where she was constantly trying to control me. And I was constantly being, she didn't know, let me be honest, she wasn't intending to it intending to do it. It wasn't intentional, but it came across that way to me. It's how I felt about the particular situation. It wasn't until I fully submitted to God's will in my life and started living out what God said for me to live out that the atmosphere and the environment in my home changed. Something switched. When I started putting more faith in my father and what he has called me to do rather than anybody else in this world, something switched in my home. She started looking at me differently. She started interacting with me differently. Before this, if I spent too much time doing something outside of the home, she would lose her ever-loving mind with me. I spend more time out of my home now with everything that's going on than I have ever spent out of my home. More time apart. Do you know how much she loses it with me now? Very little. She has her moments. But what she sees is a man that's following after God's heart. What she, and guys, I don't get it right, but what she sees all the time, what she sees is a man that does, wants nothing more than to fulfill the will of God in my life. And it has changed something. If I could put a video in my home, I would for you guys. But it's changed something that's taken place. See, Jesus surrendered to the will of the Father, He was devoted to the Father. He pointed people to the Father. His priority was the Father. He invited people into the process, did not keep his followers in the dark, but he allowed them to be a part of it, and he took time to explain what was going on. See, there's a peace in all of us, this, this peace that, that we wrestle with. 
And it's this insecurity and this security piece. And what I want us to understand is a lot of time we act out of a place from insecurity. We act out of a place where we're insecure. And so when I'm insecure, guess what I'll do? I'll be passive. When I'm insecure, I'll overreact to something. When I'm insecure, something will come out of me. When Julie feels insecure, she'll try to control something. She'll control it more. See, we act out of this place, and it causes chaos. And in all of this, we have to look to our Father for what he wants. And so in Ephesians, it says this, wives, submit to your husband. May I encourage you, wives, to relinquish control, surrender control of trying to control your husbands. And husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, and it looks like this. How much time do you spend with her? How much time do you give to her? How much time do you spend inviting her into what's going on? How much time do you include her in on decisions and what's taking place? How much time do you do all of this piece? How much time do we spend involved and not distant? Inviting, not demanding. See, I shouldn't go home today and say, yep, Pastor Chad says you need to submit, so submit. I should go home today and I should love my wife the best way I know how, which is following Jesus' example and showing compassion to my wife, meeting her right where she's at. And when an old habit out of insecurity pops up, guess what? I meet her with compassion. When something different takes place and I don't know what it is, I meet her with compassion. And I keep loving her the way Christ loved me. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for today. We thank you for loving us and we thank you for your goodness to us. Father God, I ask that today over the marriages in this room and the marriages that could be one day and the marriages um, that all over our community. Lord, there's a design that you have for us, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that we would look internally at ourselves and we would say, Father, as a wife, is is control an issue for me? Am I trying to control something I I should submit to? Something I should surrender? Am I trying to control my husband because he doesn't do it the way that I want? And Father, you've called us to submit. Lord, as a husband, Lord, I pray, Father, that my love for my wife would grow exponentially. Lord, that I would stop looking at the insecurities that rise up and manifest itself in different ways, but I would meet her right where she's at and simply show her compassion the same way you show me compassion. Lord, I pray, Father, that I would include my wife in on everything that's going on, and I wouldn't exclude her. Lord, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask her to carry anything that she's not meant to carry. But, Father, I would learn to serve my wife the same way that Christ has served the church. God, in all of this, Lord, may we do our part in, in making these marriages strong and our marriage strong and doing our part and to see what a strong home looks like. Why, Father? So that the impact we make on this world would be for your glory and your glory alone. Knowing, Lord, that our homes, our marriages, our places that we come to have an eternal impact, not only in our lives, but in the lives of our kids and future generations, Lord. They model and they they do exactly what they see. 
And may the example we set for them be something that is designed by you and points to you. God, you're an amazing God, Lord. Lord, help us to walk out the design that you have for us so that we can make an impact in this world for your glory. God, we love you. We ask for strength. We ask for courage. We ask for, for all these things in, your, in, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. A couple ways to respond, guys, is our communion tables are open. And I, my prayers is that maybe there's something going on that you just need to go and lay before for God. And so you can take that time in communion. And as you remember the compassion he showed for you and the love he showed for you on the cross, and you guys can do that through the communion. Rob is going to be over here. Um, to pray if so if any of you have anything that you just need to be prayed over maybe you're a man and you want to know what it means to lead out to step out in faith and to do what you've been called to do and so you need to go over there and you need you just need some help and need some guidance some some prayer rob will be there or you can come and grab me or one of the elders Um, maybe you're struggling in your marriage and you just need prayer over marriage right on your card right on your card let me know. Come over and get prayed for. But as we stand and sing, my, my prayers is this, is that we would realize that because of God's design in our lives, we can live a life that glorifies Him and impacts this world in amazing ways. So as we stand and sing, you respond how God leads. And lastly, I forgot about this, but our offering bins. If you got a prayer request, you put in our offering. Um, if you have a gift today you want to give back to the Lord, you can put that there as well. You respond how God leads.